right. Good morning, class. Welcome to Art Eater Podcast number 83. Uh, today, I'm here with uh, Sean and Andy, and we are going to be talking about Baldur's Gate 3. All right. So um, I think in the past, we usually like really do our homework. We write like a lot of notes, you know, like it, it gets really detailed. But uh, I, I think today we're just kind of winging it. And um, yeah, that's kind of refreshing. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. All right. So, uh, yeah, before we get into it, just a quick introduction. Um, I'm, I'm your host, Richmond. Uh, I'm one of the founders of Art Eater. I run a company uh, called uh, BitEgg, indie game developer. My background's in uh, animation, and uh, I love to be here talking about art and games and all the cool stuff that I love with my buddies every week. Sean? Hey, I'm Sean. You there, Sean? <clears throat> yep, I'm here. <laughs> as as is usually the case uh i edit the podcast um i'm a uh ux director you know creative director tend to, to be on the interface side of things uh work with richmond for a, a bunch on video games in our uh when, when we were young and handsome but we're still handsome just not young uh, and uh i worked for blizzard for uh, a while on a variety of different uh games and in tech integration uh, now I'm at, uh, lead the design teams at NZXT, so still doing a lot of PC gaming work, but, uh, uh, yeah, I've, I was telling Richmond that I've recently, uh, gone on like a super, uh, insane tear with like tactics based games, which have always been a love of mine and uh, <laughs> excited to talk about Butters Gate three, because it, it definitely taps into that, even though it's not quite a pure tactics game. So that's Andy. Hello, I'm Andy. I teach game design and also work in freelance game design. Uh, for this topic, well, yeah, I like uh, tactics game, turn-based games. I have a good knowledge of D&D in general. I played some of the earlier Baldur's Gates and yeah, currently playing Baldur's Gate 3. Like I, like right now, it's just on my screen. <laughs> Literally streaming it. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's get right to it then. Nice. All right, all right. So, should we? Do you do you want to talk about maybe like our, our our history with the series, how you got into it, or or do you want to jump right into uh, three? Uh, I'd say yeah, let's talk a little bit about history. Like I um at least at least for me to kick off, we were just starting to talk about this before the podcast. That uh, as much as like so, if people don't know, the original Bodyers Gate is a Bioware title. Um, yeah, I and right. and Baldur's Gate three is developed by a studio called Larian, which is famous yeah. for Divinity: Original Sin. It's pretty much the only game yeah. series. But I oh, would I say have, uh, visited their studio. Oh, really? Yeah. D do do oh, tell, wow. <laughs> or maybe, oh, yeah. maybe that's just the derail. I don't know if you have much yeah. to, to add oh, there. But no, like uh, no, you can continue. I'll just see what's relevant. Yeah. So what I was gonna add around the the history of it. Uh, around at least from development perspective, is as I would say in the '90s, I want to say uh, uh, what original Baldur's Gate came out in like '99 or '98, somewhere around there, like real, real um golden era of games. Um, I think we all know that everyone's favorite amazing RPG, Xenogears, came out in 1998. Uh, so yeah. that's how we know it was uh, the best year for gaming. Uh, I guess also like some other smaller games, like Final Fantasy VII, came out around that time, but. You know, no one knows about that game. Everyone knows about Xenogears. So, yeah, 
<clears throat> but I would say that if, if you like asked me if you like fast forwarded to 2023 and we're like, hey, what do you think? <laughs> what do you think there's there's going to be a new Baldur's Gate and who's it going to be developed by? And I don't know if I would have called where Bioware is now and having it having like what I would consider to be probably one of like the premier up and coming double A to triple A studios uh, taking it over like, there's kind of like I, I mean there's a whole I'm sure like there's a long history of like Baldur's Gate games because it's easy to to say that there's like Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 which which there are um, but actually I think there's like there's like, like seven or eight different games in between the first one and this one um, and this is the part where I admit that I have actually only played the PlayStation 2 Dark Alliance uh, Baldur's Gate and then I pretty much like just watched other people play the other games and uh yeah i i wonder if a lot of people are going to have a i don't know a similar like maybe the butters gate 3 is actually going to be their first uh butters gate game and then we can probably even talk about um separately how intertwined it is with dungeons and dragons which is what makes it a topic that we're probably going to talk about with for multiple episodes but uh yeah yeah yeah, I mean, uh, this is definitely a lot of people's first Baldur's Gate. It's it's huge, like uh, having like seven hundred thousand concurrent players on Steam, like for uh, mostly single wow. player game. Yeah, like and, uh, and this is, is yeah. And I was just gonna say as a note for people, whenever I remember, I I really only grok this after I worked at Blizzard, but a concurrent player versus an overall player is is the 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 kind of the achievement or technology of getting people concurrently playing a game versus just playing a game in general i i find is often uh at least like kind of uh glossed over or not understood but i would say even blizzard games like like overwatch on launch and whatever it was uncommon for them to get you know, maybe at their absolute height of launch, they'd be hitting two million concurrent players or something. So, so for a game of this caliber to hit nearly a million people concurrently playing it when it launches is is it really is huge. Like, like, like literally all these people are sitting there at this moment in real time playing at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. I just think it's I was trying to two point five million copies sold so far. It's been out for uh, like a couple days now officially, right? Yeah, I mean, it had a huge early access period, which we'll talk about. But yeah, anyway, I just wanted to mention, I always try to remind myself that like concurrency, high concurrency numbers is it's hard to support as a game developer, but it's really impressive when people hit high numbers. Hmm. Anyway, go ahead, Andy. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, Dark Alliance was cool. I feel like um, it's like, oh, a uh, game that's post Fantasy Star Online, like just action and partying with your friends and even like the new diablo is kind of closer to that than diablo one. Oh yeah that's that's, that's, that's true point. and it, it had a it had a two-player cooperative mode which i used yeah. a ton uh that was actually one of the main reasons i i i got it i was uh one of those ones yeah, where where i don't even know i i barely remember playing uh by myself but also this is back like I, it was a split screen right <laughs> um at least, yeah, at least the one so. I played. Yeah. Yeah, but um, oh, back to I guess yeah, Baldur's Gate. Uh, I know. What do you? Yeah, what are your thoughts playing Baldur's Gate three? 
at what, least do you want to talk about Baldur's Gate one uh, leading up to it. I, I I think we can probably start with um at least like maybe to me like I don't know I don't know if I have much because I haven't played a lot of the earlier games, but I will say that yeah. my impression of Baldur's Gate three so far I've, I've played played about ten ish hours at this point. Um, and I played Divinity Original Sin as well, so there there is like a lot of DNA between uh, Larian titles. Uh, but I, I they de- I definitely feel like they yeah. they push themselves a lot to kind of embrace the uh, Dungeons and Dragons five e five e scat. But <clears throat> I'll start with my my base impression is yeah. it's hard as shit. Oh really? What Baldur's Gate three? Yeah, it's I think it's a okay. really hard game. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like what? What? What do you find hard about it? Uh, hard meaning that like I would say every single combat encounter is you have to really work hard. And, and I've had like the most basic ass goblins just like destroy me. Um, oh. and and I mean I'm playing it on like the not easiest difficulty, but like the midline normal. one. And I was yeah, yeah, just yeah. normal balanced. Um. And it just kind of struck me how, um, and it's also one of those things like with any Dungeons and Dragons thing where uh, there, there's that kind of double-edged sword of enjoying the RNG of using uh, a D20. Because <laughs> I've actually had combat encounters where I'm like, I'm like, I got my tank up front. I'm all, because I, I play a paladin, if you want to know that. Um, my my character's a paladin. Yeah. He's my tank, whatever. And I also have, um, you know, I I have a, you know, fighter up front, whatever. And I'm like, oh, I'm all ready for this encounter. And then I have things where like everybody will hit me in the first round. And I've had my tank die in like one, one round. And I'm like, well, that sucked. (laughs) Welcome to the D and D world. (laughs) Yeah. It is like, uh, it's like an arcade game. You need to insert more coin, but, uh, yeah, you, uh i don't know i remember like Baldur's gate one it even had like a rng for uh the cutscenes, and uh like in Baldur's gate one your your foster father who is like secret wizard or something and he gets uh ambushed uh while he's trying to rest like lead you out of the little village to Baldur's gate and I just remember the ogre like hitting him, and then he explodes into meat chunks because <laughs> it just rolled a critical. And I was like, "Wow, that's a really uh, brutal introduction to this game." <laughs> like, oh no, no, it's actually just random. So the the computer rolled a natural twenty. Yes, <laughs> he's like, "You that's must funny. go find my friends." <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. Uh, just, uh, real but, quick uh, for the listeners, uh, RNG uh, is random, random number generator, right? Yeah, I think yeah. it's one of those acronyms that's convenient because it kind of sounds like range, and then like the number range is also the same meaning. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. But uh, <laughs> well, I've um, I've had a good time playing Baldur's Gate three. Um, I guess it's because it's D and D fifth edition mechanics, so I'm familiar with it, mm-hmm. which uh, also means that uh, I kind of know like uh, what the cheesy strategies are, or like just the benefits of 
so combinations that's, that's interesting sir are you finding so what you're saying is you're finding that knowing which D rule set it is is actually allowing you to take advantage of it like your your cheesy strats yeah. are actually working yeah <laughs> like uh or just knowing like oh well uh like this uh cleric at this level like the best thing i can do is guide or bless everyone and uh i probably and then, like, figuring out the uh, Larry and Boulder's Gate mechanics of, like, um, oh, propping someone up, like, is a free action. So, uh, and then when they're revived, like, they, they don't have a full action. But even if, like, uh, they get hit again, like, it's still taking up the enemy's turn. Um, and also, um, I've been playing it like it's, uh, like it's turn-based Metal Gear, because stealth is really good in this. In the first Baldur's Gate, like stealth really sucked. Uh, it was uh, AD and D rules, so you had both uh, hide and move silently as different stats or like different skills. So, like, being quiet wasn't the same as like uh, being good at hiding, and it was kind of hard to tell when like it was your like when it can work or not. But this uh, Baldur's Gate 3 is pretty forgiving with like the vision cones and uh. And just the nature of fifth edition making uh, like spells more like more cantrip spells that you can use all the time. Like uh, for example, um, I don't know you you guys like well yeah like in Tenchu you know like you throw a rock or you, like you just make noise or the guard and then the guard goes check and checks it out or you just drop like something on the ground and the ground the guard will go look at it right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, yeah. it's classic yeah. classic all yeah. stealth mechanic yeah <clears throat> yeah so then in Baldur's gate 3 you can uh really abuse like that reaction because uh like my character right now uh my first character in the pre-release uh was or early access was a uh, high elf barbarian because high elves can start with any uh, level zero spell so uh i had a minor illusion and what the game detects is just it makes NPCs go and check it out. And so I would just use that to, to uh, like, oh, this guard is facing that way. I have to make sure he's facing that way because I'm going to sneak up behind him and, like, cut him in half with this giant sword. <laughs> and uh, also, Minor Illusion, it, uh, it appears as a glowing cat. So a lot of these uh, bad guys, the last thing they see is a glowing cat in the corner. <laughs> I mean, die. I mean, if if I was gonna go, that that'd be how I'd want want to go. Yeah. Uh, well, but uh, unfortunately, it's I don't usually kill them in one hit, so it's more like a prolonged beating. Yeah. <laughs> 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 like, hey, what's this cat? It's like ah, <laughs> who are these people? <laughs> cat, yeah. why are you not helping me? <laughs> <laughs> and the cat just stares silently because my illusion makes no sound yeah like uh so that's a great way to start a fight um like yeah just getting a good round off does a lot uh, I, uh, I, I'll, I'll totally agree with you that so far what I've been playing, especially like even though I mentioned how hard it is, I've found that combat encounters where I'm able to recognize that there's one and then sneak yeah. up to the encounter uh i and to your to your point uh you, you wouldn't think that stealth uh is that important for like tactics based games but 
Uh, I could probably talk about a little later, but actually a lot of the stuff you're reminding me of is uh, stuff that they have that they improved on like in XCOM as well. Like XCOM two has a lot of really good stealth mechanics added. Um, again, oh. like it doesn't seem like a thing, but like uh, even the, the cat thing you're talking about, they have a, they have a thing which, which is arguably the most powerful item in the game called the mimic beacon. Um, that, you know, <laughs> that's exactly what you're talking about where, yeah. although it doesn't create a cat, it creates a person, but it's the same kind of thing. It, it, the the power of distracting your enemy away from you for even one turn in a tactics game is yeah. uh like like an XCOM it's it's one of those things where you actually you start off most missions concealed so you can like set up these insane ambushes but I, at least uh at least in Baldur's Gate to your point I found that there's some encounters where I've gone into it and I've just like I'm just gonna run into this goblin encounter and then like ten minutes later it's like your entire party is dead and then i'm like okay maybe i'll sneak in to this one and i think i had one where i absolutely got obliterated and then i tried sneaking and it turns out if you sneak uh you get access to like dialogue options and i'm a high charisma paladin so i was able to talk my way out of it and i was like oh well this is easier should just sneak up at every encounter <laughs> oh yeah yeah, no, no. In, in a tactics yeah. game, like sneaking is like super powerful, right? Like I, I remember uh, that was the one of the best abilities in Final Fantasy Tactics. I remember I turned uh, Ramza into like a super ninja who could go invisible and then just hit anyone in the back twice because he was dual wielding like katanas. <laughs> like that, that's how yeah. I optimized him, and he, he could like, you know, he could take most people out in one turn that way. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's super powerful. Yeah. Now, um, would you say, did you continue building your character around like sneaking? Like, ha has that been your like modus operandi, like with your party as you build them up, or or do you branch out into other stuff? Or, like, does it stay interesting? You know, I think uh, for me, just because of uh, the nature of D and D skill checks, uh, like I've my main character, I want him to be the one talking, so I'll make him like charisma for like just have him talk to everyone. So uh, I'm more inclined to use the uh, charisma magic classes, which okay. uh, right now is like warlock and sorcerer and bard. And uh, currently, like in the early access, my barbarian he didn't have bad charisma, but it's still enough to get by. And, I can always just like save scum, restart from the last save if I really didn't want to like kill someone and wanted to talk to them instead. Um, but um, in general, like I think something interesting is uh, with Larian's Baldur's Gate Three. It's very like all the uh, interactions of things. Like something in their Divinity series is codifying like oh you know blood is and water will conduct electricity so your electric spell will run through it and like you know set some oil or flammables then set it on fire like these simple interactions but uh they really fit together nicely and then uh there's also throwing uh like if your character is really str <laughs> strong um the the barbarian the frenzy barbarian uh when they rage, like you can just pick up a living enemy and throw them into another enemy and knock them both down. And nice. Like, oh, it's uh, it's kind of it kind of feels like kicking a shell in Mario. Like, 
So that part is um, not really codified in tabletop D&D, and that's all Larian. So I think it's actually a lot of fun to like do a high strength build too. Is the um but, uh, is that true yeah. of the the shove interaction? Because <clears throat> yeah, I've actually been using yeah. the shove interaction quite a bit because uh, because you, yeah. you can use it on a bonus action. Yeah. Um, and to your point, I had one thing where uh, I had a I had an enemy that was all up in my grill. So and I wanted and I was like lower on health than I wanted to be. So I tried to do a shove interaction just to get a little bit of extra space to to see if I could. Um, Paladins have an ability, uh, a sanctuary ability, where you can make it so someone doesn't get attacked um, yeah. until they attack. So I was trying to like basically like save someone and I did a shove to try to get some extra distance and I accidentally shoved them into a tree and then it, it, it knocked them into prone. And I and like, to your point, I had like a moment where I was like, Oh, I wasn't, I didn't think that that was, I didn't, my, my entire intention was just shove away. But then after that, I started being like, Oh, what can I shove people into? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. changes everything up, right? Mm -hmm. Just that simple, yeah. yeah, mechanic. Yeah, I think it's like just this fifth grade physics is like the foundation of all these uh, fun discovery interactions. It just makes sense. <laughs> fifth grade physics. That's, that's a good way yeah. to put it. I know exactly what yeah. you mean by that, even though yeah. I've never heard that like, term before. Because uh, I can just play the game like it's Smash Bros. And, uh, Wait, so... So fifth grade physics, can you drop stuff on people then? Yes, actually. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Actually, um, well, well, yeah, like Sean, you know the, the first encounter where like uh, there's those like guys looting the old crypt? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like uh, the way they have it set up, it's like, oh, you could like push the halfling off of uh, the wall and maybe do, do some falling damage. But um, did you notice that there was a... Uh, there's like a block hanging from a rope that was suspended like in the air. I did not notice that. Okay, yeah. Because there's also like a ground that's cracked right beneath it. And it's... Um, I think they like it is easy to miss because it's just stuff in the background and there wasn't anything in the game to indicate that you could uh, shoot a rope and cut it. But you could uh, like say if uh, a glowing cat were to appear where the, uh, the <laughs> falling you could get all four of them to go hey what's this cat doing here and then <laughs> nice I have it definitely has that um, you probably see this in reviews and stuff, but they, it definitely yeah. doesn't hold your hand uh, around anything like yeah. uh, like I'll admit like even like in the base intro where they were like they were like, let her out of the cage. And I was like, shit, how do I open yeah. this freaking cage? <laughs> it was like yeah. and it doesn't it doesn't tell you what to do. And you're just like, all right. And there's certain things that you can click that like, you know, uh, there's a highlight key like alt that lets you highlight items, but yeah. to the point Andy's making, there's a bunch of things that are interactable with your abilities that you don't click or anything. You just you just have to know to do the ability to it. Um, yeah. Yeah, like yeah, uh, even the intro was fun. a lot more. It was more confusing in the early state. Like um, I got to meet Larry and people when they're at like a game conference and play one of the early versions, and it was. Uh, there's a lot more stuff happening in the illithid chip, but that also kind of uh, made it more confusing. Like when I was trying to interact with things, I wound up like throwing a chest to break it with acid 
like throwing it into an acid uh, tank is like, oh, they'll dissolve the chest, I think. And uh, it did. But then the item that fell out of it, like, was like, uh, just fell in a spot that I couldn't pick up. Mm. So they, they, they did a lot to clean up, like, these uh, interactions. But yeah, I think it would have been nice if, uh, because at that point, I didn't have, like, the whole game yet. So I didn't know about cutting ropes. I feel like if the tutorial had you, like, uh, or even, you know, your NPC companion, you know, like, shoot at a tentacle and then something drops, that would uh, make you look for it in the rest of the game, too. Well, that's, that's true, because I, I think um, mentioning how, like, this is probably going to be a fir the first Baldur's Gate game for a lot of people, and also probably, <clears throat> even though I think... Uh, I find it very heartwarming that Dungeons and Dragons is becoming far more of a popular just thing in general, like with the movie. And like, I would say when I was younger, Dungeons and Dragons or tabletop gaming was a very niche thing. Like you had to be a gamer. And I'd say <clears throat> now, maybe the last three or four workplaces I've been at, they had D&D groups. It was not, at least within my circles, it was not discussed as like a weird niche gamer thing. It was actually yeah. like pretty normal it was actually more common to meet people and granted I, I worked at a lot of gaming companies, but I would say that the, the, the tonality around like people that play D and D has changed. But I, I think a lot of people still kind of have that. Um, oh, I know someone that's into it, but I'm not. And I, I think getting into what it means for the game is kind of hard to grok if you haven't played before and you don't recognize what the, the freedom of the freedom of like tabletop is supposed to give you. Uh, so to your point, I think like helping educate people and get them used to which things are flexible and which things are not and like how to think more creatively. I think that's hard to do if you haven't played tabletop before. I, I think a key thing that they're doing right, it sounds like, is that um, they have so many interesting mechanics going on and enough of them are intuitive that yeah. uh when when you discover this extra stuff it's like a bonus right it's not like oh like you you need to do this to advance right but yeah it's, uh, yeah but yeah it's actually like, uh... people can accept complexity as long as it's fun there's some one of the things that i really appreciate and i actually don't remember if they did something similar in divinity but uh it's really small but stuff like uh because uh, i actually uh I can tell you all about like um, the D&D group that I used to play in in San Francisco. I always thought this was amazing for, for Dungeons and Dragons. They had a whiteboard table uh, that they would play on. And it was really great because like when you play actual tabletop, there's a lot of like keeping track of stats and doing your own calculations. I think a big benefit of a game like Baldur's Gate, especially the way that Larian does it, is obviously it's all 5e and <clears throat> it's all like dice based on the back end. But for the most part, they only actually have you roll the D20 when you're doing a skill check um, yeah. out, of, out of combat. Right. But I appreciated that even in like when you're in dialogue options and stuff like that, where you would normally have to keep track of like what you're good at and stuff, you can roll over different options when it's like, Oh, do you want to use like arc arcane knowledge or charisma or whatever? And yeah. it tells you which bonuses you have to the, the, the saving throw or to the, uh, yeah. the, the DC check. And I was like, man, that's such a good way of helping people like get the concept without forcing them to go through a lot of the, like, wait, is my charisma good? Like, uh, how do I, whatever, yeah. what, what did I build my skills into? Because like, to your point, there's such complexity in, 
how it impacts just your your narrative and the way that you play that uh for someone that hasn't spent a lot of time like remembering all of those different stats it could be really intimidating yeah, yeah that, i mean that's uh, a real quality of life improvement yeah real i mean D D is a little weird to get into you know like like oh my strength is 18 but then you have to look at your chart to go the real number is a uh, plus four so. <laughs> I, I watched a uh, uh, or I started watching like a beginner's intro to Baldur's Gate 3 because I was actually more interested in seeing if they had like any um, build or mechanical like tr trick tips and stuff. And they spent yeah. the first 30 minutes of the video explaining how like AC and DC worked. And I think yeah. they thought they were being friendly, but they were like, oh, it's super simple. All you do is take strength uh, or take this stat, then divide it by two, then use this, and it means you have plus three. And I was like, wow, that was super confusing. Great job, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even uh, making like difficulty, your, um, yeah, your saving throw is something you rules. So that's a defense. That's a positive number. And then your armor class is what's attacked. For most people, you'd think like, well, they're both my defensive stats. But um, I think uh, Baldur's Gate 3, though, like, you can kind of get by without fully understanding it. Like, I actually, I can say, oh, I'm familiar with D&D, but I don't remember what classes have uh, advantage, which uh, means that when you have to roll that saving throw, you roll uh, two D20s and then pick the better one. I don't remember which ones have uh, advantage on which checks. Mm -hmm. It just like oh, it just happens. But it's like oh wait, uh, sorcerers uh, have advantage on Constitution saves, so so you don't want to like hit them with poison. They're more resistant to it. I, I I feel like one thing, and I I watched a couple of different streamers that are not into it playing, and I I've noticed that the biggest thing is I think most people think in an RPG. <clears throat> that when you attack something, you do X amount of damage and you just got to keep attacking this thing to, to kill it. And um, I, I might be able, like oversimplifying it, but basically because they use the uh, the AC, the armor class, um, yeah. it's like, so it's this, this combination, right, of you have to both have a high enough, uh, you have to do a, a check first on the AC to see if you even hit the target. Yeah. Um, and I know I know this pretty well because, like, as I've mentioned before, uh, I play nearly universally like tanks and like tanky type characters, yeah. like barbarians and paladins, and uh, I'm so I'm I'm usually obsessed with my AC because like that's how you tank in D and D. And I think like playing in the game, I know some people being like trying to attack an enemy that they were way under leveled to fight, and. Yeah. Uh, like a like a goblin boss or something, and they couldn't figure out why they were doing no damage to it. And I was like, they're they're failing the AC check constantly, and then their and then their the, their attack roll isn't hitting, and they couldn't understand. Like they're like, oh, it's so powerful, I'm not doing any damage because, like, I, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And it's like, well, there's the two layers of the system that um, yeah. add a lot of complexity. That I think I think the playing around with AC gets really fun when you start getting into buffing and. Yeah. Uh, party buffs and stuff like that. Um, but I, I, I did notice that uh, in, in watching some people pick up on it. Just in case anyone's not familiar, AC means armor class, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then um, there are instances of uh, damage reduction too. 
that will occur like often later. But uh, one of the first insta- uh, instances would be uh, barbarians when they rage, they take half damage from uh, those physical attacks. So if a goblin barbarian is raging, it's like, oh well, I'm I'm just gonna blast him with like a firebolt instead of hitting him with an arrow. Like that kind of thing comes from just like knowing D and D. I, yeah. I, I think that's uh, I think it's impressive because um, like Sean, you're you're not like super familiar with the intricacies of D and D, right? Uh, whereas Andy, you've, you know, you've been like a dungeon master for people before. Like we we grew up with D and D since yeah. we were like little kids, and this game um, satisfies everyone because there's people with even less, like like to you know, like. There's people who have never played D&D before. They've never played Baldur's Gate before, uh, but they're still able to get into this game and, and enjoy yeah. it, right? Yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, it kind of parallels like, oh, Elden Ring was much bigger, and it's a pretty difficult, like, like what Elden Ring is to action, just being able to react to things and know what your attacks range and timing is. Baldur's Gate kind of is with like, oh, here's all of this information. But at the uh, when you're just playing it, it could just be, well, I'll just shoot my magic bolt at it. I'll hit it with my sword. I'll take a dialogue option. The game still carries, like, moves you forward nicely, and uh, with lots of different builds. I, I mean, I feel like um, it, it. This is probably this. This feels very positive. It, it does. And it's hard to know if this is actually a trend, but it does feel like people are valuing more complex, more difficult games more than they used to. Uh, example being the you know the the rise of Soulsborne is pretty obvious, right? But this is not the first game in a while where it feels like it kind of eschews making the game easy in order to give you more agency within the title. I think like it's you know, yeah. It, it, I I think I read somewhere or heard somewhere that. The ending of Baldur's Gate three has something like seventeen thousand possible permutations. Good God! And <laughs> oh, uh, but just based on like, and it's it, and to be honest with you, now that I'm thinking about it, it's possible the thing I read was seventeen million. I can't remember. Um, but the point being is that like this this game also has like a stupid amount, like like a, an incomprehensible amount of variation in how you can play it, like to the point yeah. where I'm actually not sure how they designed it <laughs> like <laughs> i mean obviously i think they spent like what six to eight years making this game um yeah like even the early access was out for like three years uh no but yeah uh, they yeah, yeah, built their own game engine for this it's like, I guess yeah this is built sense. on divinity divinity 4.0 um <laughs> well, which yeah. which i will say um it is definitely one of those games where the, when you first glance it, look at it, you're like, oh, this is going to be like Divinity. But like once you look close at it, you're like, oh, this looks like it, it looks really good. Like actually, even the motion capture is really, really impressive. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's what. Yeah. I was just like, it's one of those things where I think it, in my mind, I was like, oh, it's basically just like the Divinity Original Sin 2 engine. And then when you compare them side by side, it's actually far more polished. Um, it, it's It's clearly an advanced update to their engine. Um, a massive update. Would you, Andy, would you say this is the best or, uh, well, okay. As far as representing uh, D and D 
in a video game, would would you say uh, this is uh, pretty high up there, following the rule it's, sets? It's really high up there, and uh, honestly, like even uh, like because uh, thinking of the tabletop game is like, oh well, um, it's it's a social contract and conversation, and with dice deciding conflicts so uh they can be very open-ended but mm-hmm. uh if you don't like to find things then like different people are not playing the same game yeah so like uh you can say oh there's millions of people who play tabletop D, but uh they're all they're all playing well it would be like saying like oh there's millions of people having conversations it's like yeah that's a good point right D D is played very yeah. differently like yeah. depending on the group that you're with yeah, yeah. i mean that's definitely I mean, a lot uh, of times yeah if people yeah, just assume uh, rules yeah. if they're too difficult yeah yeah definitely larian standardized it in a way that works for a game and like wow now there's over a million people playing larian's D, Baldur's gate 3 and it works and uh, yeah. not only that they also um you could say like okay the most simple things would like to port over would just be like dealing damage and like oh having this many spell slots or key slots or spell effects like that's the thing that uh you know even uh like pokemon combat already represents that well but uh larian actually looked at uh well we know uh, which subclasses which concepts like are underpowered in D&D and just haven't been fixed for like over five years and they just fixed it and they did it really well. Hmm. Like uh, there was a Frenzy Barbarian class, uh, subclass where like in tabletop D&D uh, after they like when they Frenzy they get like an extra attack more than normal but then like afterwards they're exhausted and need to sleep like for eight hours or they'll have penalties which is very severe in like most uh tabletop scenarios where you're expected to fight a lot and if you save up your super frenzy then like you're like a a worse fighter for most fights then and then a normal other type of barbarian or fighter will do a lot more or like uh so larian just uh changed the frenzy to like uh something that uh oh your extra attacks actually um get you like they get worse the more you use them like in that one combat so it's like oh so you get tired within the combat but uh Hmm. after like you just rest normally and then um like the monk is a lot better uh they can just use like their key points since first level because at level one the monk and tabletop team be there pretty weird in that they don't have any like special resources they just have uh it's like a rogue without sneak attack but like oh they're wisdom to armor class it's like they were too worried about like oh don't want everyone to like multi-class too much but but um they already have other ways to balance out like multi-classing into everything okay uh, so I mean, fifth edition came out uh, twenty fourteen, right? So yeah, it looks like they uh, and that is the latest edition of D and D, right? Fifth edition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
I was so, I was gonna gonna say Richmond that I you, you kind of triggered a, a thought that I actually think is probably pretty true around because we're talking about Larian the the current I would say stewards of um stewards of like true like the Dungeons and Dragons feel but you were asking like about the games and I was like I was like you know what I, I was trying to remember uh I was like what was the 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 best game I've played that's a video game that I thought was the realization of D and D before this and it was actually Neverwinter Nights, which um, oh, yeah. that's and, like and, uh, online, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and is and it then like I, with a host? Uh, no, no, it had it had a you could just they had a, they had a base baseline server at least um, okay. when I played it. Uh, and then I like kind of like went back in my memory. I was like, oh wait a minute, Neverwinter Nights was was Bioware. And I was like, that was also Forgotten Realms, which is the same uh, yeah. rules. But that was third edition the at the time that planet. came out. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then I, I was like, and I kind of went down this this path of like, let me look up Bioware real quick and see like what they made after this. And I was like, honestly, I think Baldur's Gate into Neverwinter Nights is exactly what led to like Dragon Age and Mass Effect and Knights of the Old Republic oh, and what and what oh, Bioware is currently na- known for, which is this melding of a third person action camera with D and D rule sets. And at the time it was all based around third edition. And I think it goes into like the Larian being the steward of, but to be honest with you, I think that Bioware for is, has become well known for this kind of story structure that I think Baldur's Gate three is highlighting is really just a side effect of how tabletop gaming is done with the amount of agency and flexibility you have. Although Bioware executed it in a very like, narrative way like a way that like the, it it still made you feel like player choice was important um and stats were important but like made it feel more action oriented and i just had to be like oh i feel like they've passed the torch to larian because i think current bioware um obviously they've had a couple of missteps recently i feel like they are no longer this company uh yeah. but it, 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 it as like andy is talking about i was like oh it feels like larian's really taking what old bioware and like obsidian entertainment we're doing with neverwinter nights and we're doing with the, the original Baldur's gate so it feels actually really appropriate that this is an official Baldur's gate game because uh, I, I had a, a thought when it came out i was like oh how did they get the license or who how did they decide to give uh the, the official Baldur's gate license to to larian versus like having it be like like a dark alliance where it's an offshoot that still takes place in uh, forgotten realms so uh, I don't know. I went down a whole mental rabbit hole that I feel like now I need to go do more research on, but it, yeah. it feels like that connects. Um, um, didn't I, I? I thought there was overlap between Divinity Original Sin and uh, Baldur's Gate. Like I thought there was some developer uh, overlap there. No. What, what do you mean developer overlap? I mean, obviously it's the same. You mean like someone that worked on no, it? No, no, no. Like Baldur's Gate One. Oh, you know, I don't know. Um, that would make a whole lot of sense now that you mention it because of like what divinity games feel like. Um, but that I actually don't know. Um, hmm. If only we had a nearly infinite compendium of knowledge that could tell us whether or not. <laughs> um, I'll, I'm Googling that right now. Um, uh, basically, what, what I was sort of thinking about earlier was uh, just, um, you know, like, <laughs> they they've really like mastered the D rule set and it's like uh are are, are they going to be able to take that back into like another game outside of D? <laughs> you 
you know or are they going to be like hey yeah. man you can't do that <laughs> like, um, uh, I, I only ask that because words. like yeah. yeah i mean D D itself is so like instrumental to yeah. just games in general and especially video games right like so many things from video games come that we take for granted like you know are, are rooted in D and D and tabletop in general, right? Like gaining levels, hit points, magic points. You know the way they do it, inventories. Like, yeah, it's just uh, it's just part of the fabric of video games in general. Is uh, are the Divinity titles based on Dungeons and Dragons rule sets as well, or do, or do they roll their own kind of fabric? Did Divinity did Divinity have like a D twenty kind of thing going on or not? Yeah, well, they must have some calculations, but it shows you. Oh, I mean, like any game does, right? But uh, I don't know. There's a certain feeling to D twenty. You, uh, I don't think you see the D twenty for combat. Like sometimes, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure it had an action point system. Uh, I mean, I guess like most turn-based games do. It, but... Yeah, it had action points. Yeah, yeah. but I, I don't recall it having a um, an actual like dice roll like that. Um, okay. That, that all being said, I would imagine the underlying systems were probably based off of D and D. You know, hop, skip, and a jump away from it. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the the Larian uh, Wikipedia page and. Let's see, there's uh so their founder, uh Swen Think. Uh, I I'm I'm sorry for betraying that name. Uh he grew up loving D D, but I I don't think I don't I, I don't think the, the, the divinity team uh actually did work on Boulder's Gate. That that was just a weird an off-base assumption <laughs> that I made because, um, you know, Divinity was like sort of the spiritual mechanical successor to uh, Baldur's Gate. Um, and it makes so much sense for them to take over the series now. But I think if y'all recall, and I, I, I think I seem to recall that they had done Divinity games prior to this, but that the big Divinity one or two was actually a kickstarted title, um, which I don't know, feels very pleasant and appropriate that like this is uh, a, a studio sense. that literally came out of like a crowdfund like uh because because oh, yeah. this is definitely there this is definitely during the era where there were tons and tons of video games on kickstarter because people saw it as a way of demonstrating to the larger labels that there was still an audience for something and i think it directly led to uh, a lot of really great new and old games kind of either staying relevant or being resurrected uh I would say the upcoming uh, remaster of Shrikoden 2, as well as the spiritual successor that we've talked about on this podcast, Euden Chronicle, it's like a direct re- relationship with like Kickstarter culture around oh, totally. around like communicating to a game developer that their audience is there and willing to spend money. But I feel like Divinity Original Sin, I think, was one of the first that I can remember that was like a serious big deal that like really uh, they, they really 
they really uh, checked all the caches that, that well, I messed that phrase up entirely. She super butchered it. They were really able to cash all of the checks that they wrote in terms of pr- what they promised and what was there. That was like the first like, oh, yeah, we can fund game development this way. Uh, yeah, yeah. Real quick. So um, the first Divinity game was Divine Divinity in 2002. And uh, same, same year as uh, Neverwinter Nights. Go on. <laughs> oh yeah yeah okay um yeah so i think uh yeah original sin didn't come out until 2014 um and it was partially uh crowdfunded um so they'd been at it for a while uh 12 years you know uh, before, like this this really had a good time to uh simmer Right, so it's it's not like it came out of nowhere. They they really refined it uh, over time, and then now, um, yeah, yeah. Now that they're 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 officially in charge of Baldur's Gate, and they're doing a great job. I I feel like this is one of those things where I feel like it's a lesson that it's it's easy to forget because of how like a lot of culture online is like, oh, you can get into this and become a power doing this whatever. But sometimes just like passionately doing a thing for like a decade is the surest path to do a really good version of it. Um, yeah. It, it, you know, like it's just people just kind of discount sometimes that like it, you need to really immerse yourself in something like a specific craft in order to really do it. Well, it, it feels like something that feels lost, but like, this is a case where I appreciate that they are so passionate about this. To your point, they've been doing it for over a decade and then they, that allows them to produce something as good as Baldur's gate three. Yeah. And divinity original. Um, yeah, I, I, I just want to I, I want to riff off of what you just said for a moment. Um, I mean, it's really cool that they stayed focused and they just kept uh, getting better at developing the kind of games that they love, which are these very D and D like you know um, uh, RPGs with a lot of choice. And then uh, I think it's really interesting that um, Baldur's Gate has always sold about like. I think the first one sold like two, two million, three million around there. Same with the second one, uh, which, you know, in the nineties, that was a huge deal. Uh, in, in, in the two thousands, early two thousands, that was still like a mega hit. Um, but nowadays we're in an era where companies are like, Oh man, it didn't break 5 million. You know, this is a failure. We were hoping for 10 million, you know? And, um, I think it's really cool that, that they, uh just the developer and the publisher looked at this series which you know it's it's really solid like any reasonable person would think you know two to three million in sales for a game is pretty good and they were like you know what that is good and that is worth investing in and you know we'll let this game simmer for like several years and 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 really like develop into the title it needs to be right and uh you know I, I think this will probably become the best-selling Baldur's Gate. Um, and I, I don't know if it'll be a mega hit, like 10, 20 million sales, but uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll more than recoup their money. And I, I just think it's really cool that like this team got the support they needed to make this really complex game, you know? And it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's for the fans. I think that's really cool. I would also say that exactly what you're saying is I feel like and this could just be because I still we all work in games, so maybe we're tapped into it. But this this feels like it had 
almost a similar level of hype to games like Starfield, which is made oh, totally. by a massive AAA game developer, right? Years in the making. And I don't know, I feel like there's something very um very uplifting about that that like th- this this team went from like basically making a, a you know a passionate crowdsourced niche title to to your point maybe it's a, it's not quite a, it's not like a call it's not going to do like call of duty numbers yet but it's a big event in gaming and the concurrency numbers show that um it's yeah the the, the bet played off and i don't know i feel like to me like larian is kind of the new from software <laughs> uh not not the from software isn't isn't i think really knocking it out of the park right now but i mean like this kind of smaller, really similar trajectory yeah really similar like double a style trajectory that yeah. it, it kind of feels like when you uh i don't know why this always stuck with me i i remember uh when you guys remember when mr brightside came out and like the killers were like the biggest thing in the world and mm-hmm. uh i remember seeing a thing where some show or whatever had the killers on and they were like awarding them like oh we, we're giving you this award best new band and they were like we, we've been around for 15 you know what never mind we'll take the award yeah like, it was, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly yeah it's just like uh, it's the same thing with like a band like i know i'm related to the bands but it's like also like the do you all know that the goo goo dolls were together for like 13 years before they had uh their first hit um i I do know that because that was the first band I ever saw in concert. When really? I was in, in I, I'm school, a, yeah. That's really cool. I'm actually a really big fan of the Goo Goo Dolls. But it's just kind of one of those things that uh, I was listening to. Like They have like a Spotify thing they do where they just talk to bands intercut with their, their music. And there was a the thing where they were talking to them about. And I just kind of always reinforced to me that it's easy to see people's and studios' success, but that a lot of it's built on generally speaking years of thanklessly doing something that you give a shit about and it's just i know it's just really really um uplifting to see it pay off for for especially for game studios yeah yeah love to see it but but i know i feel like that's like i said that's where from software is like i I think now they're like considered a proper triple a developer but i think for the longest time they were really they were considered like just a really solid double a developer and it's just like they kept doing the thing. And now the entire game yeah. industry is basically like influenced and built around their, you know, <laughs> their gameplay philosophy. Um, so th- that's what Larian feels like to me, which is very. And I think that this game also like seeming like b- being like not completely bug free, but like pretty solid launch. It sounds like uh, generally speaking, very, very high, uh, very heavy, very good reviews and. I think they would probably owe that to a very long early access development that wasn't like a, it wasn't a marketing early access. You know, it wasn't like not to call that Diablo four, but it, was, it wasn't like a week I mean, before the game, you know, they, they, this. Wow. Like they, they gave so much content out for, for, uh, I think you had to pre-order, right? Did you have to pre-order to play it? Yeah, you did. <clears throat> okay. But it was like 30 hours of gameplay and it was like super replayable on top of that. Right. So like, People are like putting like hundreds, hundreds of hours into that early access, just yeah. just having a ball with it. Yeah, I played early access for almost forty hours, and wow. I, mean, I felt like a... I was maybe halfway okay. through the early access. Dang. And uh, actually, things are different in the full version of the game. Hmm. Like I, I've. Uh, I've watched a few streamers that are like they can't help but point out all of the differences as they're playing. 
between yeah. early access and the final game. Yeah. Yeah, like there's a character party member I like named Will. He's a warlock and he's early cool. access. He's like, oh, he really hates goblins. But uh, now in the current game, it's like he's not going to bring it up unless like he's fighting a goblin. And like the story of how he got his eye, like it's just much cooler. It's more involved with him that, being a warlock than that's also super a, yeah. super interesting yeah. to your point that they didn't just like change minor mechanics or polish UI from the early access, like they changed someone's characterization. Yeah, because I, I thought that was a weak part of Will's personality. It's like, oh, he hates goblins, but that's much he's less a, he, cool than like having a pact with a demon. He's a he's a goblin racist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's not that interesting. Like this world is full of monsters that are horrible. And like uh like and yeah, it was uh it felt like a story that no, oh, it's already been done before and I didn't really care. But now it's good. Like I don't know, even uh with the tieflings, those guys with horns that are like have devil blood, uh my character is a drow elf, so they're like old D D monsters and but thanks to the great raw salvatore's drist like they're much more uh common as pcs but there's a tiefling that uh oh he just like made a offhand comment about me being a drow it wasn't like particularly offensive but it was like kind of like but it wasn't nice either but uh, so I had a dialogue option to like confront him on it, but I didn't because I figured like it doesn't fit with the uh, like just the way I'd role play my character is uh, like if you're a drow and you've left drow society, like everyone is nicer, even if they're trying to kill you, they're not as good at killing. Like you're just gonna be pretty <laughs> happy about being anywhere else other than your home or your former home. That's like yeah. that's what uh the Driss books really got down well. So it's like, well, uh my character would not actually think of uh this comment as anything rude. Yeah. And then like after the conversation ending, the tiefling actually mentioned that again and like, oh, he kind of apologized for it. He didn't mean it that way. He's like, oh, because he's a thoughtful person. Yeah. And uh I felt like this is uh very this is written by people who really like know the D and D setting, but like you know they've lived in it through campaigns and games, and they think about like not just the surface level, like oh hate goblins or like hate drow, but they think about the characters' experiences. Uh, real quick tangent, I and I, I almost feel like um, Richmond, you'll have more to say about this, but I just wanted to mention before we go too fast that you were mentioning uh drists um and i feel yeah. like we talked about in a previous podcast about ra salvatory the around the, the books um yeah that he wrote for um which also take place in the forgotten realms which is where this game takes place yep the uh, uh, dark elf trilogy and the icewind dale trilogy and then uh, even more stuff after after i graduated high school and i, I kind of lost track yeah there's a lot more books but the, yeah. the those books are still the main ones. Okay. And I, I guess like Drist is like his most popular character, right? Which is yeah. Drist oh, is, a, yeah. is a is a drow, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
He's like the original Kenshin for like D and D fans of the D and D books. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty pretty cool. But what what yeah. what, what was the pre- we were talking about him on a previous episode and I'm blanking, but we we're talking more about the art, right? Or I'm, I'm just trying to I, I it, it triggered, but I was like, when we were we were definitely talking about it, talking I, about him. I remember talking about. Um, I think Andy showed me this. Do you remember there was like a, a Stormfront post about uh, the Dark Elf books? And, yeah. 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 <laughs> Stormfront is a like white supremacist uh, uh, website that was like real big. Uh, I don't know, maybe like ten years ago. And um, well, it's yeah, more I, like twenty I, now. Yeah, but it yeah, was yeah. Uh, like they really like Lord of the Rings and other fantasy. And there's this like this guy's going like dressed he's a dark elf he has dark skin but i like him as a hero and then it was like a 200 page argument (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing um yeah it's like wow the fantasy racism story was actually kind of i don't know could it have helped someone grapple with like yeah. discrimination i don't know i mean it sounds it sounds ridiculous it, it would be easy to laugh at but he he actually made this hateful you know racist person think like maybe i shouldn't judge him by the color <laughs> of his skin like yeah that's and, that's uh, actually kind of profound i i i it, feel like that is like oh yeah i was just gonna say like when you when you like connect to a character it is it's, it can be powerful. I could believe it. You know, I believe it is. It, it, is. it, it erased whatever, or, or I mean, it, it at least like bypassed the, the, yeah. the terrible stuff that this person learned through their lived experience. Yeah. yeah. And uh funny thing is, if you look at like when Drow got created in like 70s and 80s, where beliefs can be more stupid, and also like the things that, uh, Gary Gygax's adult son, uh, like says that are really dumb is like, well, Drow, uh, they're meant to be like a mirror evil version of the party. So like, oh, uh, instead of being ruled by kings, they have matriarchs. How evil! And their skin is black. <laughs> what? It's like, oh my god! Like, uh, so I'm thinking like, ah, oh, that that's. Oh, because uh, there's something where, like, Gary Guy Tagax's uh, son just said something about, uh, you know, those uh, savage Native Americans, they were killing each other so much before we came to this continent. And it's like, oh, wow, that's uh, kind of explains some of the, like, 70s D&D adventure attitudes. <laughs> yeah. I don't um Those books are i i really enjoyed them as a kid and i think for a contemporary audience like it would be easy to find stuff uh, problematic about them uh, because of course it's really easy to read racial allegory into it and then you know like yeah oh my god like this race is inherently evil but um i don't know it's if you if you read the books <laughs> At least from what I remember, they're quite good. And I think uh, Salvatore came at it more from a sci-fi speculative angle. Like he did not yeah. write them as an analog for any real life people. 
It's more like, yeah. yeah, what if like there was this really shitty society deep underground where everything sucks? <laughs> what yeah. would that be like? And what would it take for someone to still hold on to uh, some goodness and break out of there? Right? Like, yeah, I think I, I, I think it's, they're good stories. I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, is uh, I always thought it was Drizzt. Is Drist is that the official pronunciation? Yes, I uh, only uh, found that out because there's a book where. Drist is, I think he's trying to like explain how to pronounce his name, and mm. then the the terrified surface dweller just runs. And he goes, "It's a drizzit," and he goes, "No, it's Drist." <laughs> That's funny. Is is he um, is he in uh, Baldur's Gate three? I know I know he was in part one. Yeah, I don't think he's in three. Okay. Uh, I I think I saw some discussions online about this, like, oh, will you in this game? And I think it boiled down to like, hey, he's in a different part of the world right now, <laughs> something like that. Um, okay. uh, he's also true. like, I don't know, like level twenty something. This game only goes up to twelve. He's doing bigger things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. I also saw a thing where they were like, well, nothing's confirmed, but you know, drows do live a very long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. But, uh, I, I I could see them doing like a you know like a DLC or something where like they find yeah. a way to scooch him in there. Yeah. But uh, I just kind of feel like uh, I I don't need to see Drift in this game. No, if, you don't. If he is in a game. It should be uh, it should be like when Platinum does Transformers, like just a game where you're you're dressed and you're just being awesome killing all of the bad guys yeah. and like have studio trigger do the animated intro oh my god <laughs> that's pretty amazing yeah that's exactly how i imagined like the adventures and the combat yeah and uh i mean this was also like those books were such a big part in uh kind of changing D D rules too because uh I don't know, D&D started off with, like, you know, like, this tax accountant guy and other wargaming people where it's, like, stuff that with, like, mechanics for battleships and, like, armies moving across North Africa and Europe instead of, like, blow-by-blow combat. So, uh, like, the wizards were all very detailed because they're, like, oh, they started off as like a representation of uh, artillery and then like moving forward in time by the 80s you have like people watching a lot of kung fu and ninja movies and schwarzenegger's conan like yeah that's kind of funny in that uh conan's from like you know those novels are like they were already decades old and an inspiration for like early D, but it kind of took the uh Conan movie with Arnie and his Kenjutsu from Japanese masters and all that to finally have more like actual combat mechanics related to imitating how Howard wrote things instead of uh, just attacking until like you get through their AC. 
and uh, yeah, Howard wrote with, like yeah. thrilling yeah. action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like Salvatore continued with his action is uh, more blow by blow detailed. Like Howard is more about the the emotion and like and then uh, like the the body dropping on the floor. But yeah, well, like, you, you uh, know oh, that's another Howard... thing, Larry, in that yeah. Oh, just oh, uh, you know what Larry Howard added. Uh, oh wait, let me just say the Larry did add a special abilities for every weapon, like being able to like do a sweeping blow with like a great sword or doing a a skewering attack with like a piercing weapon, so they take more follow up damage. Like that was nice because uh, it was always kind of funny that like in base D and D like. You can't cut someone with a sword. You have to cut cast a spell that makes them bleed to make them bleed. Huh. It's weird. Yeah, uh, but it came from that big top-down view of like abstracting a war game into a few people. Like it took uh, more stories of like centering on individuals fighting through like blow by blow to make people, the players of D and D care more about like wanting to be able to do that too. But part of it is also just practical. You don't want to like roll to like, there are games that became hyper hyper simulate every injury and then people just don't really care or there there's a niche, but it's uh, not for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard um, that that's a really good insight about how tabletop gaming grew out of like these military simulations and then they, they just kind of applied that to like interpersonal battles. Um, I also recall uh, I, I don't know if it was Gygax or somebody uh, or if it was just conjecture but I recall them saying that uh, basically like the early first edition D&D like wizards started off really weak uh fighters warriors were strong and then as they advanced the wizards got like really really strong right they got ahead of the uh warriors and um they said it was sort of a proxy for being a nerd versus a jock um wow and that, like in, in in high school they weren't as popular but then they'd go on to get the good jobs and become like you know more powerful in society. Uh, oh damn, that's that's uh, meta. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Andy, it makes it sense. Was... And well, I don't think uh, they said ever said that. Uh, one analogy I've heard is that. Uh, well, I mean, they leveled up at different rates. Gygax hmm. worked with like what taxes or something and mm -hmm. savings, so it's almost like different. I don't know too much about savings funds and stuff. But it's almost like different investments. So oh, that yeah, part was uh, Oh, that's yeah. a pretty cool parallel. Yeah. 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 That was his yeah. job. Um, but I, I, I just want to get back to what you were saying about uh, Howard, who wrote the stuff that yeah. inspired DD, yeah. and Salvatore, that, that innovated on the action in his books. What they both yeah. have in common is that they're both athletes, right? Like Howard was yeah. a boxer. Salvatore yeah. uh, played hockey like really seriously. Yeah. 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 And the, I think the were... experience went to his combat. And I was going to yeah, say, yeah. I, I, of all the sports that I'm like, yeah, where would you learn combat from? Hockey is 
probably the top of the list. Yeah. A lot of fighting in hockey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weapons-based fighting. I, I, yeah, I think to your it's point, a lot of... increasing your speed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good point, because, like, I don't know... I think a lot of people, especially in America, think that like football is the most violent sport, but you have a ton of like padding. And I used to have a coach that called it an organized street fight. And they said that hockey is not an organized street fight. It's just a free for all because there's very little rule sets relative to other sports in hockey. And hockey is way more intense, I think. Uh, And I said that having played a lot of football. um, So, yeah, Yeah, this is is an interesting parallel you're making about about these sports being an influence. Uh, yeah. Andy, you, you've read about Salvatore uh, describing how that informed his writing, right? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, he did like a, a Reddit ask anything, and that's I asked him like, "Oh, where's your combat come from?" He's like, "Oh, oh you asked him." Yeah. Nice. I think I did. Yeah, I, I, I remember he gave a really good answer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was all. It was all about uh, his experiences playing hockey, the strategy, the athleticism, um, and uh, just yeah, that that really explained it, right? Because it 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 his action scenes are so good because you really feel what's going through everyone's mind, right? So it's not just like oh he hit him and then this guy won. It was like they're all trying to outthink each other. And then they're yeah. also like pushing their bodies to the limit, and it, it was just so yeah. much more thrilling than your your typical uh, action, you know, that that you'd, you'd yeah. read about. He really put you in the moment. It, it, it was like reading manga, right? Like, you, yeah, you could picture it in your head, or like watching like a really good action movie or something. Yeah, uh, but even more engaging is yeah. you're, you're putting it together yourself. Yeah, like in the books, when one of the first times describing like. Drist's dad, Zachnathine, fighting a enemy cleric, and she's casting a spell at him, so he just whips her tongue out of her mouth and then kills her and the rest of their party. It's like, man, that was yeah. so cool. Like, uh, and it just played on, uh, well, Zachnathine's a weapon master. He knows how to use lots of things, and the cleric was not expecting, like, somebody 20 feet away to bring out like oh here's a weapon that attacks from 20 feet well yeah i mean he he won because people always underestimated him because in that society men aren't as strong they're not good magic users right and so he yeah he was was defeating all these powerful magic users because they just weren't used to what he was doing he had a good support uh Yeah, Baldur's Gate 3, I think, uh, I don't know, just the basic combat is fun. Uh, Just hitting things hard is fun, and because the situations are always a little different, and critical hits and hit points not being very high, like, even if it's uh, just a, here's like a dog or or an ogre, it's just going to run up and hit hit you, like, uh, because it can, like, one shot you on a critical or like two shot you on two solid hits, then all of your decisions do feel tense because uh, the stakes are high. Yeah. I, like yeah. I said, for me, it's it translated to the game feeling 
hard. And I, I think like, it, I mean, I think for people that talk about how, um, uh, you know, you obviously they have difficulty controls, right? But it goes back to, I think, why the the From Software, like Soulsborne kind of methodology actually works really well is uh, you realize that it really does change how you behave in the game when you're when there's actually like weight to the combat because like games yeah. where it's not you just run in and do stuff and I, I can say for uh, Baldur's Gate 3 uh, and I will say one of my one of my favorite features of like D&D and Pathfinder is the existence of owl bears which is a yeah. uh, which is a I don't think I've seen it in any other media, but it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a bear, but it's an owl. And anyway, uh, there is part early on in the game where you can you can uh, stumble upon a an owl bear cave. And I was like going in there, and I was like, "Oh, whatever, owl bears." And then of course you eventually get there, and there's like a giant owl bear and her cub. And you, there's like a a bunch of like there's like a dialogue check you can do to not do that. And I was like, I had the thing where I was just like wandering in there, and then. But because the, the way the combat is, I was like, oh, shit, I am not even remotely ready to fight an owlbear right now. I need to get out of this yeah. somehow. Uh, and also, I don't want to kill her little cub. It's very cute owlbear. Um, yeah. And I was also like, oh, I really like the design of the owlbear in this particular game. <laughs> like, it's like, Oh, yeah, yeah. They made it look great. Like, it's huge. It's uh, and, and it's not just a bear with an owl's head. <laughs> No, 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 and, and like an owl bear. To, to, to your point, I feel like it's one of those things where if you haven't, there's a lot of variations of what it looks like, but it sounds like it could be goofy, um, but it is not. It it looks really cool and it's really intimidating. And anyway, uh, I have a uh, again, I have a, a paladin. I'm a high elf, pal- high elf paladin, yeah. and I was able to basically do like a, a charisma and like intimidation check where I like puff up my chest and. Yeah. Uh, so the first time I did this, because I, I, you'll you'll hear from that story that I died after this. I did that, and I was like, "Oh, it didn't attack me." And then I kept going into the cave like an idiot for some reason, and then it did <laughs> attack me, and then killed me very quickly. <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, so just because like I was able to you know skill check out of." fighting it the first time doesn't mean that it then allowed me to continue trespassing in its cave toward its its owlbear cub but it was like one of those things where all of this was very intensified by the fact that combat is very punishing uh and especially when you're fighting something that you're way out leveled to fight um early on in the game like i think i barely have armor or whatever like the the owlbear killed basically each one of my characters every turn it had it was i mean it is it is an intimidating uh enemy so anyway once i died entirely i was like all right we're gonna take a very different approach to this owlbear cave which is to say (laughs) we're gonna come back later but there was like some stuff in there i wanted so like i kind of like snuck in and like i was like all right i know how to stay out of the owlbears uh, whatever Uh, (laughs) the first time did you grab the stuff before or you met the owlbear before grabbing the stuff yeah, 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 I did because I was just like one. Yeah. I was just walking around the owlbear cave like, like I own yeah. the place, and uh, that's, you know, that's cool. <laughs> learn my because, lesson. <laughs> uh, I had the uh, the encounter in reverse because um, my character was an unarmored barbarian. They didn't have monk in the game, so I just built the barbarian like a monk ninja, stealing things and jumping well. And a high strength lets you jump really well. So um, I just found some route to find the. Uh, like, oh, there's a cool statue here. And I was just digging around there getting encounters. And it's only uh, 
I knew it was the owlbear cave, but I wasn't thinking about the owlbear at that moment because, like, I found something else. Just, just to be, when I got, yeah. Just to be clear for everyone listening, when you entered this area, it tells you it's an owlbear cave. It wasn't like yeah, there's like <laughs> yeah, you know. there's like some bodies. Uh, there's a there's even like <laughs> there was a a previous encounter with like some some people that you could talk. And yeah, or like uh, fight. Yeah, and they're like, like they're was already maimed by the owlbear. Correct, and, correct. Uh, yeah, it's so funny because when you check his body after he he passes, like he's carrying so many sausages. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that guy. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, actually, with that with that encounter, uh, yeah, so the the first really the first time I did it, um, I'm not gonna ruin exactly what the encounter looks like, but yeah. I I tried it. Uh, I did the thing and whatever. And the two other people that are there are or, or like basically the, the short version is the first time I basically accidentally created the combat encounter by answering them incorrectly, like through the dialogue tree. And then I ended up killing them. And I was like, oh, I feel really bad about killing these two people that he was with because uh, like their mentor just got killed by an owlbear. And then <clears throat> and then I, I proceeded to go get killed by the owlbear. Um, yeah. and then I, I, then I, I basically like had my save come back, but I also found out that there's like a mechanic with the, the mind flayer parasite that you have yeah, yeah. where, where like, um, it, but, but also you can't use it unless you're fully arrested. So I actually yeah, had yeah. originally gone into that encounter where it was like, oh, you're, you're thing, but you're not fully arrested. And I was like, oh, right. This is D and D like, you don't just get things restored. <laughs> like You have to rest and yeah. stuff, you know, like a human. And then so. Yeah. Uh, previous to going back into that encounter, I was like, all right, I'm going to go to camp. I'm going to get rested. And then I'm going to go back in this encounter. And then when I came back, the guy was just dead and they were gone. And I was like, oh, right. <laughs> the encounter wasn't waiting for me to go have a long nap and come back. <laughs> but then, then after that, I finally like looted his body. And to, to Annie's point, I was like, I was like, man, this man has a lot of sausages on him. Why does he... <laughs> And like apparently you can use one of the sausages as a weapon. <laughs> like it shows up in your sword yeah, slot. And I was sausage. like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. And uh, going even further, like there's a, uh, after pre-release, I was just looking up what barbarians can do. And like the wild heart barbar barbarian is, uh, it's a very good uh, strength monk. You can just pretend it's a monk and, because they get animal style stamp rages, which is basically a stance. But a higher level wild heart barbarian, it can uh, learn the aspect of the chimpanzee, where it's uh, if you throw a camp supply item, which is an edible item, and you hit someone with it, it'll blind them. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <clears throat> yeah, it's like, wow. That's that's great. Like, uh, just made me want to maybe re respect to barbarian when I reach higher levels and throw those sausages. But also that encounter, like, I when I first got to it in pre-release, like, I pretty much played through it like the non-violent way. I was rested, so I, uh, you know, could uh, read the guy's mind and know how to talk to them. But uh, and also like succeed against the mind flare parasite stuff. But this time I just decided like to not spare those two other people. 
because I was like, oh, well, they say they're looking for those people. And I say, I am those people. And they go, oh, let's go kill them. I decided uh, this time, uh, well, they're not good people, so they should die. <laughs> and I also want more experience points because I want to reach level six because the game <laughs> capped at level five in pre-release. I want to get to other stuff. You you want to experience more? I, I know. I feel yeah. like even even that it's just like a very small encounter, but I think it like yeah. highlights why the game yeah. has such flexibility. Like it, like we both in like that encounter can play out in so many different ways, and it's like it's it's not even it's not important. It's just the thing that happens yeah. on the road. Um, yeah. And by the way, like when you're talking to people, you can uh, have your party members do other stuff. You could even have them like surround someone and then just ambush them as you're talking. Really? Like, well, so, so oh, nice. what do you do? Like, do you like tap, do you like switch to another character out of the dialogue tree? Yeah. And then, yeah. Like... There's a little button at the bottom left. Like, uh, oh, yeah, they so... just leave for you to figure that out. Does it just kind of wait? Does it just kind of wait for you? Like, does it treat it like yeah. a turn? Okay. Yeah. And, uh, oh, that's really cool. I also use that for like, uh, I set the glowing cat far away so the person will walk <laughs> away from their their belonging, <laughs> and then uh, and then I have my character who's just wait. My party member will then start talking with them after they beat the cat, so they're facing away from me as I'm unlocking their treasure chest. <laughs> so this, like I said, I, I mentioned it before, but this really reminds me of XCOM Two. Like I said, it has this this item called the Mimic Beacon. Um, and I remember like when I first saw the item, I was like, oh, whatever. This is not like a, a big deal or whatever. But it, it after having used it and like I've seen other things where a lot of people like in the XCOM 2 community, basically most people agree that the Mimic Beacon is one of the strongest items in the game. And it goes back to exactly what Andy's saying is like with a tactics based game, distracting people is such a powerful ability. <laughs> yeah. Because like it, it's like it, it can be like borderline broken. Uh, if you know how to use it correctly and it's it's just kind of really shows you how like it isn't just raw power against raw power like in certain games like there really is a lot of uh flexibility to how the how like how tactics games work uh yeah. but I just, it's kind of interesting to me that in both games like a distraction item is like a pretty powerful tactical item yeah uh even uh yeah you can say it's action economy like, uh, how many actions do you use to kill or defeat your opponent? And how, like, can you be more efficient at that? And distraction can really cut down on your opponent. Even, like, just starting a fight with, like, someone, like, the ogre is further away because he saw a glowing cat. So now he's going to take two turns to reach the goblins that I'm killing. Like, <laughs> that does so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, because I think a lot of people go into games and they just kind of prioritize, uh, you know, like skill skills and abilities that just give them more like yeah. damage or more more yeah. HP. And I, I think yeah. that's why tactics games are like so end up being so deeply yeah. satisfying is that like yeah. you, you certainly could approach combat that way. Right. Like you could totally just brute force through everything. But um, yeah. there's so much flexibility in how you approach encounters. And I think it's what makes it so replayable, too. Yeah, actually, Dark Souls does that too with uh making noise and like baiting items but uh but because it's uh more like action based like you you can outfight everything once you just learn it 
because you're not rolling a d20 you're hitting the button with your own typing mm-hmm. uh but i do feel uh yeah it's the stealth mechanics of Baldur's gate 3 is really good i really really like it uh it's goofy and not realistic but it's mechanically fun <laughs> yeah i think I, I had one where uh i snuck up on like a pack of goblins and like uh, i guess to, to tell you I, I'm, Andy, I'm sure you can explain it better but there's yeah. also like once your party is sneaking they have kind of like a reticule on because the, the game doesn't really show its its tactical grid but it is there um yeah but you can kind of see like where which areas you enter that'll get you revealed and i had one where like it just happened to work out where i could walk up like right behind them to then start the encounter with advantage and i was like okay in, in, a, in a real situation they would have already totally seen me <laughs> but because of the way the mechanics worked out uh but it still made it really fun um and i also found out that there's an achievement in the game for getting five attacks off in one turn oh cool like with- for one character Mm-hmm. The achievement oh, is that. called Action Surge. Perform five attacks in one turn. Your enemies won't know what hit them. Literally, that's the, yeah. the text of the achievement. Yeah, I figure uh, if you're like a level of five fighter, then you have two attacks, and then per attack action, and then uh, Action Surge will let you do that again. But then you would have to. Maybe have like an offhand weapon to do the fifth attack with a bonus action. Uh, yeah, I had a the I forget um what her name is, but the the fighter that you get early on in the game. I to your point, I I had I yeah, got Lizelle. like I got yeah Lizelle, yeah I got like advantage and then I used her bonus action to finish off the the, the goblin and uh, it was very yeah. satisfying. I like the writing of these characters, like Lazel, like. Uh... I feel like she would be really annoying if it was Baldur's Gate 1. It's like the <laughs> writing is just a little more empathetic now. The the characters do feel more fleshed out, and it's hard to... I yeah. mean, definitely the, the acting and animation and the fact that the camera yeah. can zoom in more, but they, like, they all do feel... Like, I, I've already, I look very quickly got, you know, invested in the, the characters I already have in the party. Um, so, yeah, I feel like the, yeah. the writing is is better. I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's definitely uh, less flowery than Divinity was. <laughs> Divinity, they'd yeah. write like a novel, and you're just like, okay, this is a lot of Shakespearean acting text. Um, yeah. I think it's... Uh, there's more moments where you're laughing with instead of laughing at. I think that is uh, one short way to describe it. But uh, mm-hmm. I... There is like... Oh, there's one character who turns out to be a vampire, and I just decided, like, well, I'll take the path to uh, defend myself killing him, because I think that's reasonable. And, uh, yeah, but there's so like there's quite a few characters with so much dialogue, so I don't mind if I... I don't know, a vampire's a vampire. Maybe they'll come back. And then uh, there's another character that, like, he has really annoying dialogue, and then... Uh, so if you do kill him, then this other stuff happens where you have to revive him or like your game ends. But it was like, it's like, wow, he's really irritating. But they made him that way because they wanted the players to kind of get baited into killing him and, and doing this <laughs> other stuff. <laughs> oh, man, that's devious. Well, one thing, yeah, uh, just like a dungeon master. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say, one thing I also appreciate, and I haven't, 
I haven't quite uh, seen this fully realized yet, but I like how they have this kind of main cast of characters and you can choose yeah. to play as one of those characters if you want. I was surprised. Yeah. Like what? I can just be uh, Shadow Heart or Lazel or, oh, or you, Will. You could That's just be a pre-made character. Well, well so yeah. the, 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 the seven main characters that again, yeah. I haven't played enough of the game, but they're called origin characters. And so it's like kind of the seven main ones that you encounter. I, I think there's probably more party members that you can uh, acquire, but, but yeah. So like you have a choice to make a custom character or to play as one of them. And I, I, I lo- like at first I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to play a custom character because it's D and D. But like, as you're playing it and you're seeing these characters show up, I was like, oh, that's really cool that they let you. Yeah. They basically reveal all these characters, but they also co- are completely fleshed out in such a way that you can play as them. And so I'm probably going to go back and, play it as one of the characters once i'm done you know yeah. 300 hours from now yeah. oh by the way did you get the owlbear egg uh no because at this moment i have avoided the owlbear because every time <laughs> so i i tried to do some looting but i didn't get the egg no um yeah oh i'm really near that place like i was just in that area and like it was an hour ago that i took the sausages from the dead men uh so yeah so yeah, i'll see bo- what's different about that but uh bo- bor- borsk the that... the paladin will not be dealing with the owlbear anytime soon we're, yeah. we're going to leave the owlbear yeah. alone <laughs> yeah i was also pretty high level when i reached that point like i already fought like a powerful hag and did a lot of other stuff so everyone had magic weapons uh so yeah that owlbear mother really got it <laughs> but uh but the egg is a it's an edible item so if you use your uh oh in this game when you rest you have to use uh edible supplies to uh get all of your hit points back which i think is good to prevent people from just like resting and like slowly whittling down whatever and then going to rest but the egg is yep. edible, so if you use the automatic uh, select items to eat, like make sure you don't eat the owlbear egg. Oh, the auto select I, will I, just will just select yeah, like yeah. unique items. I thought oh. that's kind of like, oh, that that's kind of messed up. But but I feel like it's a funny thing to leave in intentionally because this is a game where like that should happen. Where if you're not careless, like. Like oh sorry I I didn't know that egg was special that was breakfast <laughs> like that, that already sounds like something like there's definitely someone out there who's like you know eating the egg and then they they talk to their friend and they see their friend's games like hey why do you have a baby owlbear in your camp it's like oh because uh, I hatched the egg like way later in the game like that's uh yeah this Baldur's Gate three like is great for this like even we're talking about playing this going to the same parts of the game but we're like approaching it differently we had different experiences i i just want y'all both to know and everyone on the podcast that um i i have in fact backed a uh a kickstarter for an owlbear plush and it is adorable and now now that i have learned from andy that i can get an owlbear cub uh in this game that is now yep. my my main goal. Yeah, <laughs> I do not care about any of the thrust of the plot. I just want baby owlbear. Um, yeah. Oh my god, that's really cute. And uh, even like how owlbears became like quite popular, and iconic in D and D was because in old D and D eighties, I guess maybe seventies, 
Owlbear was just this monster that showed up on random encounter charts like often enough to show up and murder like level one and two people. <laughs> and uh, word of mouth, it became a legend. Because uh, if it like was just, oh, it's just an ogre thing and it deals okay damage. It was, I think it's like if both of its paws hit, it rends you. It had a special attack that like made it deal more damage than just a big orc or ogre. But uh, even uh, my AD&D story is uh, like I was playing a old school game where everyone involved like new mechanics well. And the goal was like, let's uh, replicate that kind of dungeoneering cutthroat, like let the dice fall style of like the Gary Gygax play. And I rolled up a Minotaur. It says, like, I'm just going to, like, I want to be able to, because everyone was, like, pretty optimized for first level. So my Minotaur, uh, like, there was a point where, like, a gnome summoned an owlbear to stop us from, like, getting this treasure because they were trying to get it before us. And and uh, I just had to take the chance of, like, I know my Minotaur can one-shot that owlbear, and I know that owlbear can one-shot my Minotaur. <laughs> so he just rolled the dice, and and the Minotaur died, and everyone else ran from the Owlbear. But uh, that was fun, and that did make me think of Owlbears more often. And uh, oh, also, uh, there's act like you can turn into a bear, and there's a bunch of bears in this game too that you can talk to if you have speak with animals, uh, which I, I think is great. My barbarian could. And so the dialogue was really funny, but it's great that the the bear just looks like a normal fat bear, and then the owl bear looks <laughs> like it's like a Zangief is not like normal people can be large, but Zangief is gigantic. Like that's what the owl bear. Feels <laughs> you you like know what it bear. does kind of have a Zangief esque feel to it, especially yeah. the design in this game. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 another great thing with Baldur's Gate Three is like all these people, artists, writers, they all grew up like with anime and manga and like playing street fighter and so on and i've like i haven't extensively toured their malaysia studio but i know like just the general preference in art is like oh everything is like really global now like it's no longer a strong divide it's just everyone grew up with similar art and i will say like yeah this game looks great it looks it looks much better than uh like a lot of old RPGs. Like oh, yeah, yeah. Gate one, like the some parts where there's just kind of like representing things. It wasn't stylishly making an ogre. Well, and it's it's fair to say that I mean all the little older Baldur's Gate, most of them were sprite based and uh, you know, that looked really good for the time. And th this one's fully 3D and uh, to your point that there is a stylization to this one that does feel really good. I saw someone playing this in 4K and it looks like it looks really impressive. Uh, yeah a, yeah yeah like uh it's playing on my laptop and can't play it on max settings but it still looks great uh like uh yeah it's just nice looking game uh spell effects are also nice and easy to understand that's mm -hmm. uh, uh, definitely uh and it it's also one of those things where the since like the environment plays into a lot, it's kind of important <laughs> that you you can recognize like what materials are and stuff like that. I think they do a good yeah. job of telegraphing in UI when something yeah. is affecting you. Like for instance, like your your feet will highlight when you're being impacted by difficult terrain or an effect, yeah. but it still looks really good. Like it, it's still pretty intuitive. 
and yeah. it kind of helps you it kind of helps you like plan out because it's a much slower paced game than i think other ones but it's it also it's more like methodical and it's because all of your actions matter so yeah. even like figuring out where you can jump and how terrain plays in i think that it does a really good job yeah like uh, even the first time i walked into like some difficult terrain lines like now I recognize what they look like, so I'm not going to run in a straight line through it. It's just like the way they place it and just the deepness of the green. I did the yeah. same thing. I was running somewhere and I was like, oh, I got caught by a vine. It's uh, saving throw. I, I succeeded. And I was like, oh, I didn't see that anywhere. That's completely. I was like, oh, no, I see it. I see all of them. They're right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, so anyway, I think we'll probably have more to say as we play it more. And I don't know, maybe, maybe uh, Richmond, we should come back and do a, a bit deeper dive of uh, history because uh, <laughs> there's so much to talk about with with yeah. just this one yeah. franchise, not just like there's also like just Dungeons and Dragons and games. And, yeah. and we, we, we mentioned like Icewind Dale. We didn't even talk about that game series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'd, I'd love uh, to first... uh, return to this in the future. Yeah, like the, the old gold box MS-DOS games like... Uh... Yeah, all that. I stuff. would say, in a way, uh, Baldur's Gate three feels more like Dark Sun Shattered Lands than Baldur's Gate one. Yeah, there's just something about it. Uh, I think it's like there's more directness and story direction is still open ended, and uh, and then the the writing is also kind of like more like empathetic in uh, Shattered Lands, like escaping from oh yeah you're escaping from uh like gladiator combat slavery and in this one like and like being uh kidnapped by illithids and and all of that stuff like i'm glad i'm really glad that they went with the weird part of D D that like is like uniquely D D. I, I will say that I really appreciate if, if y'all haven't seen it, like the the opening cutscene of this game and like the intro to the game is really engaging because like you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you could have it start like whatever in a town and whatever. And they're like, yeah, no, it's going to be uh, it's going to be like a mind flayer ship having like a, a massive battle across a like time space continuum with dragons. It's going to crash land. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's uh. <clears throat> makes you feel that Faerun is Faerun is huge, but there's a whole galaxy. And uh mm -hmm. oh, wait, have you explored the Underdark much? Not in games. I've I've read about it. Oh, okay. Uh Baldur's Gate 3 has a really good Underdark and uh even uh the way monsters fight there is different than the surface the encounters are different. Like uh it felt like Monster Hunter World's uh, subterranean mushroom area that was probably like referencing Underdark D&D stuff in the first place. So I feel like uh, this game has learned from all of these other games I enjoy. Like there's a patrolling enemy that will attack you and then run away. And it's like moving around instead of like just staying in one place, which makes the Underdark feel way more dangerous than the surface. But it's not actually, like, unfair harder. It's it's just different. Like, they made the pacing different. And, and that was like, wow, that's a great way to do it. 
because if they put like patrolling enemies everywhere, which would make sense if you just had like patrolling owl bears instead of the owl bear staying in a cave, but because they like chose to use this mechanic for a different area, it uh it makes it like yeah, the surface and the underdark feel really different. Also, in a way, like, some of the people, like, once you get to a town in the Underdark, like, they're really nice, and it makes sense because, like, well, they're people living together in a world where, like, you can kill anyone you don't like. It's just the, so they genuinely get along. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually pretty yeah. funny when yeah. you think about it. No, it's, it's good that they actually thought about that. I mean... Um, because th this is a game, you know, one, one of the recurring uh, comments uh, is how much it forces you to think, right? Like Sean with, you know, like, oh, you it did the owlbear didn't attack you that time, but it doesn't mean you're in the clear, right? It, it, it does a really good job of placing you in, you know, that scenario and making you think, like, if I was really there, like, what would I do, right? Which is super fun if a game can, you know. I could do that. Yeah. And it's There's, cool that uh, the developers, um, you know, also well, uh, it, did that. And, and it definitely makes you not take anything for granted in the game. And I think that's why, like I said, it feels like a slower game. But it's it feels slower because, honestly, your actions have far more consequences than they do in other yeah. games. And I, I, like, mm. I honestly, it was just like, oh, I passed that skill check. I don't have to fight this owlbear. I'll just keep walking. And, of course, the, the game was like, no, you just all, all yeah. you all you did was was this specific encounter like your choice to continue continue walking toward this owlbear is, is totally yeah. makes sense in that context. Yeah, I'd say uh, the only negative I really have for the game is that uh, the uh, when you're just walking as a party, the uh, the player you're the characters you're not directly controlling. They they'll just walk into fire. They'll stand as a trap is shooting them, or they'll like run into oh, a no. trap that you detected. Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing. The the AI. I also had problems where like I would get into a combat encounter, and I was like, "Where? Yeah. Where's my mage? What? Why are you over yeah. there? <laughs> what are you doing?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, yeah, sometimes they just like they get stuck behind something, and like they wind up across the map because you didn't notice that they stopped following you like five minutes ago. But, yeah, uh, yeah, no, that's, I, that's just. Just because the game is so huge, there's that's that there's already so many bugs they fixed that they must have fixed for something this scale that like like oh well. I I had one thing where that happened to me, and then but I had started the encounter uh, sneaking, so I had to freaking sneak the mage like across the map to get him into the combat encounter. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was dumb. But I, I mean, it was part of it was like, oh, I guess it's emergent gameplay. Like, he maybe yeah. he just got distracted looking at this beautiful stream, and then it was like, <laughs> oh shit, where did my party go? <laughs> yeah, but uh, one of my favorites mm -hmm. is that uh, when something like when monsters are really big and heavy, they just deal damage by falling on, like by jumping at you. Uh. You will fight a bole in this game, and it, it's really great. It feels so deadly, and it is deadly. And uh, but then uh, when I killed the bole, I had a way to animate its corpse, so I just had like the strongest monster following me around, 
that's pretty cool but then uh but as uh the the belay it uh it leaps at you for attacking but um but if you have your party like climbing down a ladder a bully can't use a ladder so everyone went down the ladder and then a, a dead undead belay dropped on top of all of them and like killed <laughs> half the party <laughs> I, I actually had a, a, a similar thing because I, I have a like a high strength in my paladin so like i yeah. jumped off a cliff to go somewhere yeah. uh and i was like and i was i didn't do it i didn't take any fall damage or anything i was like oh this is fine just move it along yeah. <laughs> and then uh one of the other characters like the barbarian jumped after me and did damage yeah. to me and everyone else fell on top of me and i was uh, like yeah I, I lost like five hp from just like inadvertently jumping yeah. and everyone is jumping on top of me it was kind of kind of dumb that's Even, funny um, so like the the monk and the and the rogue thief they can take uh, less falling damage so to encourage scouting and getting better angles with them but uh, i found uh the warlock sorcerer that i have as a ninja like oh i have a warlock ability uh false life i just get seven temporary hit points outside of combat but it functionally becomes the same as taking reduced fall damage and it's like, wow, I, I, I've totally forgot about this, but it, it's like, it really helps my, my mystic ninja build. And it wasn't the intention of false life. False life is more to make you tougher in combat or maybe like walk through fire or something. But I just love that the mechanics, uh, like having this hit point buff makes me better at exploring too. Like, uh, there's this elevator in the Druid Grove that uh, you can risk fall damage to get down to it instead of talking to some people that have to let you through. So I just jumped down a cliff, like, recasting false life to absorb the damage every time. And it's like, yeah, this is great. And then I could activate the elevator for the rest of my party that doesn't have this ability to go down. That's super, so super, yeah, super cool yeah. how, how things like that just create this emergent gameplay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's like, I, they def, like, I really doubt anyone like intended it this way. It's more like just knowing, just having these systems that make sense, like that are self-contained and interact in a way like, okay, like using hit point damage as a way to gate things and then hit point damage is the way to get around things. And, uh, yeah, jumping's fun too, and people have already made uh, jumping builds. Like, because normally in this game, like, oh, like, uh, what is jump distance? It's already pretty good for a normal character. It, it's uh, it's more than like an average human probably yeah. would be able to. Like, I, at first, I was yeah. thinking, oh, it's gonna be realistic, and then I like yeah. did that jump first my paladin. I was like, oh my god, I'm like an Olympic, I'm like an Olympic yeah. pole vaulter. Yeah. <laughs> I think they calculated it as like your strength 16 paladin in full armor can jump like an Olympic, the very best, doing a, a running start. And that's I, what you can do. I mean, to your yeah. point, it, it is <clears throat> it is very satisfying, especially when you're when you're at a very high elevation and you jump on top of an enemy and it, it does damage and knocks them prone before yeah. going into combat. It's I mean, there's definitely a lot of fun interactions like that that. Yeah. Uh, 
You, you know, it's kind of your point. You don't even necessarily like you would give the game a pass if it didn't bother to do that. But it does. It has yeah. a lot of interactions that are don't feel super necessary. I also had one where I was fighting something on like kind of a road that was like a cliffside. And yeah. uh, I did like a dashing attack with the um, with Lazel, like the fighter. And yeah. for, for whatever reason, it like it had enough thrust to like knock them off of <laughs> the path. And they like went tumbling down the hill and then hit yeah. and then hit a rock and it did damage. And I was like the the gameplay systems required for that interaction to happen. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I intended that. What a yeah, what a great. Yeah, I totally was going to knock them. I like I didn't even. None of that was necessary, right? But it created a very cool interaction. Yeah, it's really great. It feels like turn-based Smash Bros, or like planning like a pool shot. And uh, oh, even with the uh, jump builds, like okay, so a normal character can jump like you know ten meters, which is a lot in real life, but it's it's good in this game. But uh, I just saw a screenshot of like, oh, he has a character he can. Uh, Instead of like, oh no, five meters, yeah, or is uh, normal. But then he had a character jumping a hundred meters because he just took every jumping ability and level classes <laughs> that he jumped. So he could like leap across a chasm or like jump up a. Well, I don't think your vertical height is there. It's I, like, man, I, that's great. And the game doesn't break when that happens because of just the way they built it of all these like different self-contained stories yeah I, I feel like um nowadays certain games when you talk about builds it just becomes like what's the min max way to do something but i think like DD really and, and a lot of like the mechanics here have it right in that like builds really do become a way for you to create a play style that feels fun yeah. or to play into themes or, or, or like as basic yeah. to role play into something you're doing and i feel like uh, not, not that i i mean i really enjoyed diablo 4 and uh i i yeah. worked on it and whatever but i will say that i feel like games like uh diablo 4 like the builds become more like items you have to put together with certain yeah. abilities so that you have to like so you can skill check something versus like yeah. what you're talking about which is like you can play into this like fantasy or you could totally yeah. just yeah if you want to be like an olympic jumping build the game <laughs> like empowers you to do that um yeah. and it's not wrong uh, it's it's not like a weak thing to do necessarily i yeah. think that's really cool let's say uh diablo 4's philosophy is there i mean it is online and like people will go for world first so it's totally different from diablo uh from Baldur's gate 3 and i got like over 40 hours into diablo 4 i had fun i just found that uh well i i don't really want to like spend more time trying to add like three more percent to this build that i have yeah no, I, I agree uh, once i played the yeah. campaign in a couple i mean still it's one of those things we're playing with friends is still really fun but yeah. it did it definitely highlighted to me that like building your character a certain way is not as fun yeah. and i think what you said just like to me yeah. like really highlights what makes building characters out fun uh yeah and uh that. i just i don't like looking at more than one cooldown like it's so distracting for me to go like is my barbarian leap and barbarian kick and barbarian dodging are all on different cooldowns. Like I just I like stamina meters. It keeps things simple. Well, and I feel like um, at least within game design, I've seen like uh, see a lot of designers kind of fall back on cooldown as a way for power control. Yeah, um, it's it's the simplest way to calculate it. Yeah. Yeah. 
but uh oh, man i love stamina i love <laughs> i love when like you can combo something you know like even like street fighter alpha's vism is kind of like how much can you squeeze into this one time frame like that and it's yeah. emergent instead of everything already uh, being on a spreadsheet but uh i have thought like oh like baldur's gate 3 has many paths to optimization and uh sometimes you can just drop a lot of i found that uh I, well i'm gonna try this out but i acquired a bunch of oil barrels and I can put all of like these like forty kilogram oil barrels. They can all fit into this uh, this crate that is smaller than a barrel because the mechanics just let you put large things into small boxes. So I wonder if I take the wooden crate, can I throw the wooden crate with four oil barrels in it? And will the oil crate or the will the wooden crate explode to drop four barrels on someone, and then I can just shoot like a firebolt at it? I'll try that out. I am now curious as to whether or not that works. Yeah, yeah, because uh, you have a like strength paladin, so you can do all of the jumping and shoving and throwing. Like throwing is so fun in this. Like just try it out. I, I uh, sorted this accidentally, but I was in a, a fight where yeah. accidentally meaning that I like accidentally had the character like grab a, a rock, like a giant rock. And it was like, you can yeah. throw this. And I was like, yeah. all right. So I just threw this boulder at this goblin, yeah. <laughs> it knocked him prone and dazed him. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> why not? Dude, any any game no where you can roll a boulder at an enemy is is, is a fun game. Yeah. Oh, and to clarify though i didn't roll it at him i threw it at him <laughs> like uh, like yeah. the hulk like i was like Rah! yeah oh, nice and uh if you have the leaping build you could also jump like the hulk everywhere <laughs> actually wow. you could uh wait can you ah uh, no you i don't think you can grab someone and then jump like that would be hilarious though if you could just grab someone and jump 200 feet and then just beat them away from their friends. <laughs> <laughs> and then the three left would be like, is the guy leaps back in to grab another one. It's like, wow, you're. Yeah, this. What a fun game. It's like. Like what Smash Bros is for, like, just combat. Knocking people into the ceiling and having them drop back down like this is for. Yeah, it does that, too, in a limited way, but with so many interactions and uh, even like figuring out like how much I could throw. I don't know there was a battle with a belay where I was losing and I was like, man, I might get wiped because uh, one of my my main guy is down. And then I had the fighter Lazel, like, oh, does she have a healing potion? Oh, I think you can throw healing potions to revive people or to heal your party members. Can you? So I, though, I've needed to do that a few times. Yeah, Maybe I should check into uh, it. Yeah, it's like, I feel like that must be a nod to Fall Fantasy Tactics. Like, the chemist can just hurl a potion yeah. at someone. But uh, I didn't have any healing potions. And then I, but instead, I was like, oh, wait, I have this wine bottle. And then it's like, itch it. And then uh, 
I finally noticed that the edible item for camping, the wine bottle, is like, oh, it'll, it can uh, make things vulnerable to fire. So my intention was to revive my party member, but then it turned into, uh, I'm going to drench this bole in, in uh, wine, and then I'm going to throw... Or, and then I set the belay on fire with the firebolt. It's like, oh, cool. It took a lot of flame damage from just a bottle of wine and a cantrip. You're already making me like think about like other encounters yeah. I've been in where I'm like, oh, I should have gotten more creative uh, yeah. when I got in trouble rather than uh, just being like, oh, I guess they're just going to beat me to a pulp because I'm out of healing and like I have yeah. <laughs> I have no way of getting away from this. Yeah, like... Uh... <laughs> I actually ended this really tough boss battle with like this powerful monster that was that turned invisible halfway through like I figured out where they were and my character like hit them and didn't kill it but I still had my shove action but my character is pretty strong so it's like wow I can shove them pretty far and then they fell down a hole into the abyss and died it's like it was a little anticlimactic because I was like, man, that monster wizard must have been carrying some good items, but now it's down a hole. <laughs> like, that is kind of the, uh... oh, Richmond, you remember like in Final Fantasy VI, you could banish mm -hmm. and uh, and then cast uh, X-Zone to kill anything? Mm. It was an unintention. Wow. Yeah, but then like you don't get I think you don't get any items from it because it banishes them. So it's like, oh, that's the drawback. You you don't get to loot them, but you can just instantly kill them with pushing them down a hole. And that's an it's kind of like a Dark Souls lets you it's hard and then it lets you cheese things really hard and it's up to you how you want to play it. So Baldur's Gate, yeah, like if there's a hole in a fight, then just shove them down there and you'll win. And and that concludes our strategy guide for Baldur's Gate Three. Yes, I love it. Uh, yeah, just uh, I, I I love that you guys are figuring out your own way through it. Like, um, yeah. it's not prescriptive, right? It's not like, oh, you know, this is how you're supposed to use yeah. the barbarian, yeah. and like this is how you know this is clearly yeah. the best build, right? By the way, Sean. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, Richmond. Just good. Yeah, sure. Sean, after you kill those goblins, your character is strong enough to just carry them around in, in your inventory. You can keep a, a dead goblin, a few of them with you, and then throw them when you need to. What? <laughs> really? <laughs> oh yeah. I'm going to try that. I, I, yeah. this, this whole, like, I can throw stuff that isn't meant for combat is already mentally opening up an entire playground for me. And your point, to your so, point, I have a very, I have a very strong main character, uh, primarily because like yeah. strength paladins are one of my favorite classes to play because I like being like yeah. a healer tank. But now, yeah. now that you're you're opening up a whole world of creativity where I can, I can be a, I can be a shock strength paladin. But like, oh my god, did he throw a goblin at me and set it on yeah. fire with wine? But, yes, I think <laughs> I haven't done this. I'll check, but you might be able to break a wine bottle on the dead goblin first and then carry your wine-drenched goblin <laughs> that will uh, also soak whatever you hit with it 
and then someone else can just like you know throw a candle at them i feel like this is also a good case for me to switch my my main weapon to the, the hard sausage that i looted from that guy yeah yeah oh by the way um at the tutorial you uh the mind flare is fighting like the uh the demon boss mm-hmm like uh you're able to kill the uh the Cambrian and take his flaming sword but uh really yeah it's one of the strongest weapon it was the best weapon in the early access so right now uh my sorcerer warlock when he reaches level 3 warlock he'll be able to wield any weapon using his uh, charisma stat so uh the st- like the story then Make made up in my head would be that like oh I I killed the demon took his sword, but like I have to become a more powerful magic user to uncurse the sword and finally wield it. So I'm just carrying it around despite not being able to wield it. It's like that's cool. Uh, but then like people f- like because you can edit the uh, the origin car- party members like before you meet them. There's a cleric spell command where you can command someone to just drop their weapon. So the fastest way to get this really strong flaming demon greatsword is to have like know it's coming, have a shadow uh, heart, shadow the heart yeah, 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 command like the demon to drop his weapon and then just have somebody grab it and then like run away and proceed with the tutorial story. <laughs> That's that's really cool. I like that. Yeah. I haven't read any spoilers about where you go, but I do wonder, do you go to hell again? And, like, does killing the demon or not affect the story? Huh. Hey, um, I just want to uh, say we, we got to wrap stuff up soon. Yeah. Yeah, so we could, we could obviously yeah. talk about this for hours and many episodes more. So, yeah. Let's wrap it up. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Do you guys want to do uh, follow up? Uh, yeah, I think we also be good to get uh, other members of the podcast on see what they they think about it. But okay. uh, yeah, let's uh, check in again once uh, you guys have played the game some more. So and, and, maybe not necessarily next week, but you know, the ongoing thing. Well, and even though Richmond, you're like, oh, we don't normally prepare and do notes. I actually feel like I want to do some more research onto Baldur's Gate's actual history. So that I could speak yeah. more authoritatively about it, because I think yeah. there's uh, there's a lot of good stuff that I think is interesting there that is not super well covered in yeah the, like because I, I think for a lot of people this came out of nowhere and I think there's there's such a rich lineage behind yeah. it uh, so okay. anyway, yeah yeah totally all right uh, I'll any, just say any when uh, when I was playing the early version of Baldur's Gate one of the Larian designers in a nice sport coat had his little notebook out and was writing down stuff as I was just giving feedback. So, so yeah, what a, this game's good because I contributed it to it in some way. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good because they did a long early access and they actually care about yeah. what their players do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is not easy. It's not easy to pull that off. It's not. Yeah. Because you, uh, it, it is a dangerous game to uh, make uh, the players feel like like they're designing the game. You know, <laughs> yeah. 
that can that can spiral out. I think in that way, it's uh, yeah, like you know, customer is king attitude can can lead to some not interesting stuff. It's more like I don't just interacting with animals in Baldur's Gate. It's more like uh, if your customer is like a stray cat, you know, you're taking care of the stray cat, but you're not doing like you're not listening to the cat's feedback. The cat's not gonna like take a bath or get like the shots it needs, but it needs it to have a good, <laughs> healthy life. Yeah. All right, all right. So let's um, see the outro then. Okay, um, this was a lot of fun. All right. Let's, uh, so we'll, we'll definitely be returning to this topic. Uh, next time we'll be, um, yeah, uh, Sean, Sean's going to do some research into the history of Larian and, um, you know, uh, yeah, uh, you'll, you'll be farther into the game. Um, and oh my gosh, like there's always just so much to say about, uh, D and D in general, you know, that, that could be like a multi-part series there. All right, so we'll definitely come back, and uh, it was super fun talking to you guys tonight. Um, so, uh, yeah, thank you for listening to all our listeners out there. If you made it this far, uh, thanks for choosing to spend some time with us. You know, hope you're having a good day. Hope we uh, were able yeah. to uh, brighten it up a bit. Yeah. And um, if you uh, are enjoying the podcast, you want to listen to the old ones, uh, you can get, head over to our website, arteater.com. That's A-R-T-E-A-T-E-R.com. Uh, just click on the podcast section, and uh, yeah, every everything we've recorded will be there. Uh, hopefully, on with links to whatever platform uh, you prefer to listen to your podcast on. Uh, if we're missing anything, let us know. Uh, you can always contact us through Twitter. Uh, we have a Twitter account that's Art Eater Podcast, A R T E A T E R Podcast. Um, shoot us a line there. Let us know how we're doing. You know, you have to comment on the podcast you just listened to even if it's like a year or two later just let us know what you thought you know um yeah and uh, of course that's also a great place to keep up with uh when the newest podcasts are gonna go out um yeah and then uh if you want to follow me i'm your host richmond uh you can follow me on twitter at uh, richmond lee that's r-i-c-h-m-o-n-d underscore l-e-e i'm always on there i'm always game to talk about art you know, uh, video games, animation, comics, like just all, all of this fun stuff, all the stuff we talk about here. Um, and uh, I am uh, working on some games, actually. So you, you can check out uh, the stuff I'm working on. Uh, making a strategy game, a turn-based uh, strategy game called uh, Zeka Tactics. You can follow it on Twitter at uh, Z-E-C-H-A-T-A-C-T-I- CS uh, Zeka Tactics, um, yeah, check it out. It's it's a uh, it's a game inspired by uh, our my team's love of both uh, strategy games from you know console games as well as uh, computer games, and also our love of uh, mecha anime, uh, particularly uh, OVAs uh, from the eighties and nineties. Just you know, love this stuff. So, if that sounds like a good time to you, please check out Zeka Tactics. Uh, we're also making a, a super cute uh, hidden object game uh, called uh, Lost and Found Co. Uh, it's kind of like uh, like you know the 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 Where's Waldo or, or Wally. 
if you're from Europe, the Where's Wally books like come to life. That's one of our inspirations. Um, it's 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 a really amazing game. Um, it's actually being made most almost entirely by our um, our, our local Thai team. You know, Bit Eggs based out of Thailand, and um, uh, it just it's a very young team. Average average age of the person working on it is probably like in their twenties and uh they're super passionate uh, about the game and it's it's just it, it's it's such a cool game i i'm i i just check in on it from time to time i'm not really working on it directly i was involved earlier on setting like the animation style but like the team really just ran away with it they're doing an amazing job so if you want to follow that game that's also on twitter uh, you can follow it at underscore lost and found co l-o-s-t a-n-d-f-o-u-n-d-c-o um and uh, we actually just released a steam demo so uh, if you go to steam you can look up uh, lost and found co or look up bit egg and uh, give it a try you know it's it's really easy to pick up and play it's uh it's 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 really delightful there's just there's like dozens sometimes hundreds of characters in a scene every single one of them is unique you can just poke them get different reactions um yeah a lot of fun it, it, uh, it's it's super fun y'all should go play it it's it's like no other if you like hidden object games it's like it's like the 10x of that it's so much so much more detailed and involved but uh, and satisfying thanks sean yeah, the Steam oh, demo. I, I played uh, it it's really good yeah yeah thank you yeah. Um, hey, Sean, let let uh, let people know what you're up to, you know, and how they can uh, follow along. Uh, yep. I'm Sean. You can uh, follow me on on Twitter or X.com if you prefer uh, at um, <laughs> at, at uh, Debor. I'm actually just going to keep calling it Twitter and calling it tweets. And I'm hoping that eventually it just like reverts. But anyway, uh, you can follow me at Deborsk, D-A-B-O-R-S-K. Um, I lead design teams at NDXC. We're a PC gaming company, so I talk about pc gaming a lot uh you can also see me making all of my friends in xcom 2 recently uh as well as uh i do a lot of mentoring so you can uh also if you want to talk to me you can check me out on adplist.org um it's free uh to do that and you know you can set up a, a session uh, it'll automatically block my calendar and all that kind of stuff so i've been doing a fair amount of that i, I do have a, a book that is coming out soon right now it's slated to come out in november it's about mobile design oh, cool. so i will be oh, talking about, talk about that dude yeah. <laughs> talking about it more and more uh it's it's definitely been especially because of the pandemic it's, it's it's been in the works for about three years and i've been slowly working on it uh definitely learned a lot about the book industry and whatnot so neither here nor there i'll, I'll mention it. it's it's going to be called untethered uh so like i said it's about mobile design philosophy and and whatnot but cool. uh, uh i'll be mentioning that more like i said november is currently um the the slated date originally it was going to come out in june but uh uh like i said parts of it are a lot more work than i expected and you know i'm busy but uh, anyway, yeah, that's that's me. Follow me at uh, at Deborsk on Twitter, and uh, yeah, I will probably start making my friends in Baldur's Gate three now. Now that I <laughs> have the taste for like, oh, I can render my friends pretty pretty convincingly in a video game. I actually this mainly look at XCOM two or sorry, an XCOM thing where everyone's like, hey, make your friends because like uh, when uh, 
there's a lot of per- there's like permadeath is a main mechanic as part of an XCOM game where you have a lot of soldiers. So like people are like, hey, you'll keep your soldiers alive if they're your friends. And that's totally true. Oh, I was God. like, oh, no, Richmond, I need to make sure you're you're fine or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. So so, yeah, you can follow along where where Andy is my my best psychic soldier and Richmond is one of my best snipers. So that's that's what you get from from my Twitter currently as I as I replay XCOM 2 multiple times and fight aliens with my friends. <laughs> okay, bye. Nice. Cool. Andy, go ahead. Oh, uh, I don't have anything to promote. Like, yeah, Sean's book. Looking forward to that. And Lost and Found Go. Cool. All right. Cool. By the way, Andy is an amazing teacher. Uh, your, your your students are lucky to have you. I was going to say, you can follow Andy on Twitter for like the most amazing historical or like interesting tidbits about popular media. I, I feel like yep. uh actually learn a lot from following Andy on Twitter or yeah, yeah. viewing or whatever it's called now. I was just reading Crying Freeman again. It's like, wait, this is every metal gear solid game for like from one to four and five yeah i never made that connection but it, it it's it's pretty clear once you point it out that <laughs> it's pretty amazing yeah yeah oh man yeah follow, uh please follow follow andy for uh really good insights um to everything <laughs> yeah. i have to i don't know I'll consider doing more videos or like uh, setting up something so I can just comment on games as I stream. Yeah, I'd watch. Totally. The, I'd definitely watch that. Especially, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I just watch you playing Baldur's Gate three and listen to you commenting on. You're like, okay, so I have this bottle of wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pairs well with this hard cheese that I'm going to throw with my strength 20 barbarian. <laughs> All right. Okay. Anyway, um, thanks, y'all. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for listening. Yeah. Have, have a good yeah. one. And yeah, thanks for recording, guys. Yep. Outro yeah. music now.